We're going to be learning Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the fourth piece in Hilchos Trumos. This is the second piece on the Rambam Parak Aleph Halacha Chaf Beis. And Rabbi Chaim is going to be discussing the Halacha of produce from Eretz Yisrael, which was taken outside to Chutzla Aretz, or vice versa, which was what he discussed in the last piece, but he's going to take it in a totally different direction. The Rambam writes, Peres Eretz Yisrael, Shiyotzu Chutzla Aretz, if you take produce from Israel outside to Chutzla Aretz, they're exempt from having to take the gifts to the Kohen of Chala, of Truma, and Meiser. And the reason is because the Torah says, that I bring you there. So we learn from the word Shama that only in Israel are you Chayiv, but in Chutzla it's your Pater. So the obligation of the gifts to the Kohen only apply Shama in Israel. Likewise, if you take produce of Chutzla Aretz and you bring it into Eretz Yisrael, so then it's Chayiv in Chala. You are obligated to take off the Chala from the dough. Shinem are Shama, again based on the word Shama, that in Israel you're Chayiv, whether it's produce that originally grew in Israel or whether it's produce that came from outside. Either way, if it's now in Israel, it's obligated in Chala. And with regard to Meiser, the Rambam says, If a Jew completed the production of the produce after it was in Eretz Yisrael, then it's obligated rabbinically to take Meiser from that produce. Now the source for this halacha is a Mishnah in the beginning of the second chapter of Chala. And there it only discusses this with regard to the obligation of Chala. But the Rambam extends this halacha to also include Truma and Meiser. And the reason, says Rab Chaim, is either because we derive Truma and Meiser from Chala. Or alternatively, because the Sifri explains that the words Tarimu Truma, which is written in the Torah in the section about Chala, is actually a reference to Truma. So if Truma is mentioned in the section of Chala, it means that the Halachas of Chala with regard to taking produce from Eretz Yisrael outside or vice versa, are also going to apply to Truma. And then the halachas of Meiser are like Truma. So that's how the Rambam derives that even though the initial halacha was said with regard to Chala, it's going to apply to all three, Chala and Truma and Meiser. But uh, Kazef Mishnah asks a question, which is, if we're applying the halacha of Shama to Truma and Meiser, so that's why produce of Eretz Yisrael, which is taken outside to Chutzla Aretz, is exempt from Truma and Meiser. Why does the same not apply the other direction, that produce of Chutzla Aretz, which is brought into Eretz Yisrael, is obligated in Truma and Meiser, Mida Oraisa, on a biblical level? Why does the Rambam say that it's only obligated rabbinically? Or another way to put this differently is why is Truma and Meiser different from Chala, that produce which comes from outside of Israel into Israel is obligated in Chala, Mida Oraisa, but it's only obligated in Truma and Meiser, Midra Banan. But Mida Oraisa, it would still be absolved from Truma and Meiser. So that's what Rab Chaim is going to explain. What is the difference between Truma and Meiser and Chala? So Rab Chaim is going to suggest two major differences. The first is a bit more technical and the second is more conceptual. First, Rab Chaim says that in order for produce to be obligated in Truma and Meiser, you need two factors. First, it has to have grown a third of the standard amount of this produce. That's called Havas Shlish. Less than that, it's not really considered a plant. 
And second, it has to be smoothed over, meaning it has to be finished, the production of it, which is called meruach. And this double requirement is explicit in the Ushalmi. The Mishnah in the fourth chapter of Peya says that if you sanctified your produce before it was completed, so now it belongs to the Besamikdash, and then the Besamikdash completes it, and then you buy it back, so it's exempt from Truma and Meiser, because at the moment when it was completed, it was owned by the Beis HaMikdash, and they're not obligated to give Truma and Meiser. And the same Mishnah is repeated in the third chapter of Chala. So the Yerushalmi explains why do we need this Mishnah two times. So it explains that one is talking about when the Beis HaMikdash owned the produce when it was completed, smoothed over, and one is when it grew a third. Meaning, in order to be obligated in Truma and Meiser, both of those milestones have to be at a time when the produce is obligated in Truma and Meiser. If even one of those milestones comes during a time when it's exempt, for example, it's owned by the Beis HaMikdash, then this produce is never going to be obligated in Truma and Meiser ever. And the same requirement also emerges from the case where a non-Jew owns the produce. So we derive two things, that it has to be digancha, your produce, not a non-Jew's produce, and also diguncha, it has to be your completion of the process and not a non-Jew's. And the Gemara in Gitin and Daf Mem Zayin says clearly that if a non-Jew owned the produce when it grew a third, then it's exempt from Truma and Meiser. So from all these sources, we see that in order for produce to be obligated in Truma and Meiser, it has to hit two milestones, and at both times, it has to be owned by a Jew who would be obligated in Truma and Meiser when it grows a third and at the final production. That is different, though, than Chala, which only has one milestone. Now, what that milestone is, is a debate between the Rabbanan, the rabbis, and Rabbi Akiva. The Rabbanan hold that it's Gilgul, when you mix the dough together. And according to Rabbi Akiva, it's when the bread starts to brown in the oven. So there's a debate what exactly the milestone is, but it's only one milestone. And at that moment, you become obligated in Chala. Now, says Rab Chaim that this technical distinction is going to explain the Rambam's differentiation between Chala versus Truma and Meiser. Because the Yushalmi in the second chapter of Chala says that the Halacha of Shama, which teaches us that we follow wherever the produce is located, the moment that's determinative is the moment when it becomes obligated in Chala. The Yushalmi says that according to Rabbi Akiva, everything would depend on when it starts to crust in the oven. That's what the Tosefta also says. Meaning, according to Rabbi Akiva, the moment when the bread starts to crust is when it becomes obligated in challah. And if it's in Israel at that moment, then it's obligated. If it's outside of Israel, then it's exempt, regardless of where the actual grain grew. So based on this, says Rab Chaim, that explains the distinction between Chala versus Truma and Meiser. There is no inherent distinction between them. In both cases, the rule of Shama says that wherever the produce is, when it becomes obligated in the mitzvah, that's what determines the status of the obligation. But produce which grew in Chutzla Aretz and was then transported into Eretz Yisrael and was completed in Israel cannot be obligated in Truma and Meiser because even though the Meruach aspect of it, so the final completion was done in Israel, 
But the growth of the third, which is the first milestone that's necessary to be obligated in Truma and Maiser, that obviously happened outside of Israel. So this produce is not going to have both milestones happen to it in Israel, and that's why it cannot be obligated in Truma and Meiser, Mida Oraisa, meaning it's almost the equivalent case to the case that we discussed before where a non-Jew or the Beis Hamikdash owned the produce while it was growing. So in that case, even if a Jew buys it afterwards and completes the process, it cannot be obligated in Truma and Meiser. So the same thing is true of this produce, which grew outside of Eretz Yisrael, even though it then goes into Eretz Yisrael and is completed, it can never be obligated Mida Oraisa in Truma and Meiser because the first milestone of growing a third happened outside of Israel in a place which is exempt. So that's why it can only be obligated Midra Banan. But that's different than Chala where there's only one milestone, which is either the mixing the dough or when it browns in the oven. And since that happened in Eretz Yisrael, so based on the rule of Shama, it means that this produce is obligated in Chala, Mida Oraisa. So Reb Chaim says that this technical difference is going to explain the distinction that the Rambam makes, even though there is no conceptual difference in the principle of Shama between Chala versus Truma and Meiser. But the upshot of this is, and this is how Rab Chaim formulates it, the Rambam holds that the rule of Shama, when applied to Truma and Meiser, is only a leniency. It's never a stringency. Meaning it only says that produce of Eretz Yisrael, which goes outside to Chutz Laaretz, is going to be exempt. It never tells you the other way that Chutz Laaretz produce, which is completed in Eretz Yisrael, is obligated. And we explained why that distinction is correct. But that's different from the application of the rule of Shama to Chala, where it's both a stringency and a leniency. Now Reb Chaim suggests a second distinction between Chala and Truma and Meiser, and this is a more conceptual distinction. Again, this focuses on when the produce becomes obligated in these mitzvahs. But the distinction here is that when the Torah describes the obligation of Chala, it calls it Ariso Sechem, your dough. So once you make it dough, then it becomes obligated in challah. As opposed to Truma and Meiser, where the Torah describes it as the gancha, your produce. So Rab Chaim understands that, that ikar chiyuvam huba rak mikoach din gidulam. The obligation of Truma and Meiser comes about because the produce grew. In other words, it's much more inherent to the produce itself that since it grew, it's obligated in Truma and Meiser, as opposed to Chala, which is once you take it and make it into dough, then it becomes obligated in Chala. So that's an important conceptual distinction, that Truma and Meiser is much more connected to the process of the growth of the produce, as opposed to Chala, which is indirectly connected because it needs another step in the middle. Now, there seems to be a problem with this explanation because there also is a step in the middle that the truma and meiser produce requires before it becomes obligated, and that's miruach. It has to be completed, otherwise it's not obligated in truma and meiser. So why is that not the equivalent 
of mixing the dough in the case of challah. So Rab Chaim explains that there's a fundamental difference between them because the meruach is just a requirement, meaning you're not obligated to take truma and meiser off of produce which has not been completed. So in order for this produce to become obligated in truma and meiser because it grew in Israel, it's necessary to do the meruach so that it's considered a completed produce. But it's not that the completion of the produce creates the obligation of Truma and Meister. That obligation is pre-existing. There's just a requirement that in order for the obligation of Truma and Meister to appear on this produce, it must be completed. And Rab Chaim proves this because the Gemara in Bavmetzian Daf Peches says that when it comes to olives and grapes, if your intention is to turn it into oil and wine, so then it's not obligated in Truma and Meiser until you do so and you complete the production. But if you're planning on eating them as is, so then they're obligated in Truma and Meiser immediately because there's no further steps to do. So you see very clearly that completing the process is a requirement which holds up the truma and meiser until you do so. But it's not the source for the obligation of truma and meiser, which is different than in the case of challah, where the mixing of the dough is actually what creates the obligation of the challah. So that's why Reb Chaim's conceptual distinction between challah and truma and meiser is correct, because the truma and meiser is much more connected to the process of growth of the produce than the challah, which is connected to the making of the dough. So based on this, it's now obvious why the Rambam would distinguish between challah and truma and meiser, because since challah doesn't depend on where the produce grew, it just depends on where it was mixed into dough. So the principle of shama tells us that wherever the dough was made, it's going to depend on that location. So if it's made in Israel, regardless of where it grew, it's obligated in challah. And if the dough is made outside of Israel, regardless of where it grew, it's putter from challah. So that's why when it comes to challah, the principle of shama is both a leniency or a stringency depending on the situation. But when it comes to truma and meiser, which is an obligation because this produce grew, so then it's very much connected to where the produce grew. So if it grew outside of Israel, even though it was brought into Israel and completed there, that cannot be obligated Mido Raisa because of the principle of Shama, because at the end of the day, this is Chutzla Aretz produce, and it grew in land which was Chutzla Aretz, so it cannot be obligated in Truma and Meiser. So that's why the principle of Shama, when it's applied to Truma and Meiser, is only a one-way street. It only exempts, but it cannot create a stringency because at the end of the day, where the produce grew is going to take precedence over where it was completed. So if it grew in Israel, but it was taken outside of Israel and completed there, then it will be exempt from Truma and Meiser based on the principle of Shama. But if it grew outside of Israel and it was brought into Israel, even though it was completed in Israel, it's still exempt because the land that nurtured it was outside of Israel. So there's no way for this produce to be obligated Midoraisa and Truma and Meiser. So that's Rab Chaim's second approach to distinguish between challah versus truma and meiser. And he points out that according to that approach, we no longer need the idea of the first approach that it depends on where the produce brought a third because we have a much more fundamental distinction that when it comes to truma and meiser, it depends not just on the third, but which land nurtured this produce.
Now Reb Chaim's going to have a somewhat lengthy discussion to try to bolster his second approach, the more conceptual approach, as opposed to the first, more technical distinction. In the fourth paragraph, Reb Chaim begins with a Gemara in Gitin and Dachav Beis, which is talking about an Atzitz Nakuv, a potted plant, but it has holes. So there is some direct connection to the land. So this is an unusual case. If the actual trunk, the actual plant is in Israel, but it's right on the border, so the branches spread out and they go outside of Israel into Chutzlar. So the actual fruit is outside of Israel, but the trunk itself is in Israel. So is this fruit obligated in Truma and Meiser? Is it considered Israel fruit or Chutzlar fruit? So this is a debate between Abaya and Rava. Abaya says that it's considered Israel fruit. Rava says that it's considered Chutzlaretz. So the Gemara says that if this plant actually took root in Israel, so then everyone would agree that it's an Israeli plant. We're talking about here where it hasn't taken root. But then the Gemara questions this notion that a tree which is rooted in Israel and branches outside of Israel is going to be considered an Israeli fruit because we have a b'risa which says, Elon if you have a tree which is half in Israel, half outside of Israel, so So it's as if all the fruit are mixed together. It's like Israeli fruit, which is tevel, until you take truma and meiser from it, and non-Israeli fruit, which is chulin, you're allowed to eat it right away, so it's all mixed together. So the Gemara assumes that this is talking about where the branches spread out, some over Israel and some outside of Israel. And the Gemara answers, no, we're talking about where the roots are half in Israel and half outside of Israel. So this tree is right on the border and the roots spread out in both directions. So that's why the fruit gets nurtured from both Israeli and non-Israeli land. So what emerges clearly from this Gemara is that if you had a tree which was rooted in Israel and the branches of the tree were sticking outside of Israel, so that fruit would definitely be obligated in Truma and Meiser because it was nurtured from Israeli soil. But Rab Chaim asks a very creative question that doesn't this fall under the halacha of Shama? Because those fruits, when they grew to a third which is the requirement of Truma and Meiser, they were located at that moment outside of Israel. They were in the airspace of Chutzlaretz. So even if afterwards they were transported into Israel, but this falls exactly under the case of Shama, according to the Rambam, that if you bring in produce which grew outside of Israel into Israel, it's not obligated in Truma and Meiser. So how can the Gemara say that these fruits are definitely going to be obligated in Truma and Meiser when this is the exact case that the Rambam just said that when you transport from outside of Israel in, it's not obligated. And even more so, says Rab Chaim, here we're talking about fruit of the tree, which is different than produce that has to be completed. When it comes to fruits, there is no completion. They're automatically completed as soon as they're ready to eat. So there is no second milestone like we discussed before when it comes to produce. There's only one milestone to be obligated in Truma and Meiser, which is as soon as they grow a third. So how in this case could these fruits be obligated in Truma and Meiser ever since when they grew a third, they were located in Chutzla Arts? 
So this is a very creative question on the case of the tree which is rooted in Israel, but the branches spread out to Chutz La'aretz. And also the case of the Gemara where the tree is on the border, so it's nurtured both from Israel and Chutz La'aretz soil. But Rabbi Chaim says, why should that be mixed, Chulin and Tevel together? Why don't we just say that the fruits which grew in Chutz La'aretz are totally exempt from Truma and Meiser because of the principle of Shama? So before he gets to his answer, Rabbi Chaim just points out that it's very forced to say that this whole Gemara is going according to the position of Rabbi Eliezer, who disagrees with Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah in the second chapter of Chala about this whole halacha. So everything we're saying now is according to Rabbi Akiva's position, that it depends where the produce is completed. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, it depends where the produce is grown. So that would make sense of this Gemara, but Rab Chaim says that's very forced. And even more to the point is that the Rambam in two halachas is going to quote that exact discussion, that a tree which is rooted in Israel is considered Israeli fruit, even if the branches are in Chutz La'aretz, and if the tree is on the border, so then it's considered a mixture. And the Rambam, as we know from this halacha, clearly holds of the halacha of Shama, like Rabbi Akiva, and yet he still rules that in this case, the produce would be obligated in Truma and Meiser when it's brought into Israel, and he disregards the fact that it grew in the airspace of Chutz La'aretz. So in order to answer this question, Rab Chaim says that there's two possibilities. Either we could say that the whole halacha of Shama does not apply to the growing a third milestone. It only applies to the meruach, the completion of the produce. That's where it has to be done in Eretz Yisrael, or it's exempt from Truma and Meiser. Because the meruach is similar to the dough mixing in that they're both active things that you do, which result in the mitzvah obligation. So in the same way that Shama teaches that the dough has to be mixed in Israel, so too the meruach has to be done in Israel. But if it's completed outside of Israel, then it's not obligated in Truma and Meiser. But Shama does not apply to the milestone of the fruit growing a third because that's passive. The farmer's not doing anything. The fruit is just growing on its own. So Shama is not going to teach that if the fruit grew a third in Chutz La'aretz, it's automatically exempt from Truma and Meiser. In that case, everything is going to depend on which soil nurtured the fruit. And that's exactly why if the tree is rooted in Israel, so it's being nurtured by Israeli soil, then the fruit is going to be obligated in Truma and Meiser, even though it was physically located in Chutz La'aretz, because whatever the halacha of Shama would have dictated is replaced now by the fact that this tree was nurtured in Eretz Yisrael. So from this unusual case, Rab Chaim's able to deduce a very important principle, because ordinarily trees grow and are nurtured in the same location. So you're not going to have a distinction between where the fruit was and where it was nurtured. But in this odd case where the tree was rooted in Israel and the fruits are located in Chutz La'aretz, there we can see the principle that Shama is not going to be relevant because it's displaced by where the fruit was nurtured from. And since that was Israeli soil, it's therefore obligated in Truma and Meiser so long as the process is completed in Israel. And Rab Chaim's second approach to explain this halacha is similar to the first one, but it's a little bit of a more radical formulation. He says that even if we can accept that the halacha of Shama does apply to the Havas Shlish, so the growth of the third 
has to be in Israel. But that's still going to differ from the more active process of completing the fruit because when it's meruach, which is active, so if you do that outside of Israel, not only is the produce not obligated in truma and meiser, it's even more than that. It's actually exempt from truma and meiser, meaning this produce can never be obligated again in truma and meiser, even when it's brought into Israel, because since it was completed in chutz la'aretz, that means for all time, this produce is exempt from truma and meiser. But that's different from the more passive passive process of Havas Shlish, where the farmer is not doing anything, the produce is growing on its own. So there, if it grows outside of Israel, there is a halacha of Shama, that it's not obligated in Truma and Meiser, but it's not that it's actually exempt. It's just not obligated at this moment in Truma and Meiser, meaning the Truma and Meiser mitzvah never started on this produce. But if it's then brought into Israel, it could become obligated in Truma and Meiser because there was no actual exemption. So Reb Chaim is distinguishing between an actual exemption versus a more passive process where the obligation of Truma and Meiser never started. And that's going to explain why the tree, which is rooted in Israel, but the fruits branch out to Chutz La'aretz, is still obligated in Truma and Meiser, even though when the fruits grew a third, they were located in Chutz La'aretz. Because since that's just a passive exemption from Truma and Meiser, the fact that this tree is nurtured from Israeli soil takes precedence and makes it obligated in Truma and Meiser. So those are Reb Chaim's two approaches to explain the Gemara in Gitin. Now, according to both approaches, it emerges that the Halacha of Shama does not apply to the Havas Shlish, where it grew a third. So even if it grew a third in Chutz La'aretz, it's still not automatically putter. And Reb Chaim extends that the other way would also be true, that if it grew a third in Eretz Yisrael, it's not automatically Chayiv. And that we see because the Gemara said that if you have a tree which is straight down the border, so half is in Israel, half is in Chutz La'aretz, all of the fruit is considered a mixture even the fruit which is on the Israeli side. And we don't say that because it grew in Eretz Yisrael airspace, it's automatically Chayim and Truman Meiser. So that shows us that whether the fruit grew in Israel or in Chutz La'aretz, just because it grew a third in that location does not mean that it's automatically Chayiv or Putter in Truman and Meiser. So this is another way of saying that the principle of Shama does not override the factor of where the fruit grew, but it's actually the opposite. Where the fruit grew is more important than the Shama, which is going to translate into the exact same thing the Rambam said, that when it comes to Truma and Meiser, Shama can only be a leniency, but not a stringency. Because if the fruit grew in Israel, and then it's completed in Chutz La'aretz, then it's exempt, because it was completed in Chutz La'aretz, so Shama is a leniency. But the other way, if the fruit grew in Chutz La'aretz, and was then completed in Israel, it's still putter because it originated in Chutz La'aretz, and that over Overrides the halacha of Shama. So, according to Rab Chaim's analysis of the Gemara in Gitin, 
it's going to emerge exactly as the Rambam said, that fruit from Chutzlarz, which comes into Eretz Yisrael, is still Pater Mida Oraisa from Truma and Meiser. And that's either because when it grew a third, it was in Chutzlarz, so it doesn't have that first milestone in Israel, or because the fact that it originated and was nurtured in Chutzlarz means that it can never be obligated in Truma and Meiser. So according to Rab Chaim's explanation of the Gemara and Gitin, this proves his approach in the Rambam. But Rab Chaim does point out at the end of this long fourth paragraph that his analysis of the Gemara and Gitin does disprove his first more technical approach in the Rambam because the technical approach was based on the idea that in order for something to be obligated in Truma and Meiser, it needs both milestones of growing a third and the completion to be done in Israel. But this Gemara is indicating that the growth of the third is an irrelevant milestone because even though the fruit grew a third in Chutzla Aretz, it's still obligated in Truma and Meiser. So you see that growing a third is not an important factor. So this Gemara proves that the correct approach in the Rambam is Rab Chaim's second, more conceptual approach, which says that Truma and Meiser is directly related to where the produce or the fruit grew. If it originated in Chutzla Aretz, then it's always going to be exempt, even if it's then brought into Eretz Yisrael. And that's why in the Gemara and Gitin, even though this fruit was located in Chutzla Aretz, but because it was nurtured from Israeli soil, therefore it's going to be obligated. So what we've seen from Rab Chaim's analysis in Gitin is strong support for his reading of the Rambam, and particularly for his second approach to explaining the Rambam. Now, in the fifth paragraph, Rab Chaim is going to try and establish which of his two explanations in the Gemara and Gitin are correct. So he begins with the Raivid, who indicates that when we say there's a principle of Shama, it all depends on where the produce was completed. That's the moment which is determinative of whether this is considered Israeli produce or Chutzla Aretz produce, where it was completed, which is the moment that it becomes obligated in Truma and Meiser. And the same thing emerges from the Yushalmi that Rab Chaim quoted before, that with regards to Chala, according to Rabbi Akiva, the location is going to be determined by where it began crusting in the oven, which again is the moment when it becomes obligated in Chala, according to Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Chaim wants to know, why did the Rambam omit this from his description of this halacha? The Rambam just says plain that Israeli produce, which was taken outside to Chutzla Aretz, is exempt from Truma and Meiser and Chala. But he does not say explicitly that this is in a case where the produce was finished in Chutzla Aretz, but if it had been finished in Eretz Yisrael and only subsequent to that taken outside, then it would still be obligated in Truma and Meiser. So Rabbi Chaim wants to understand, why did the Rambam not make this explicit? And even more problematic is that in the first chapter of Hilchus Trumos and in the second and third chapters of Hilchus Meiser, with regard to produce of a non-Jew or the Beis HaMikdash, the Rambam does say explicitly that it has to have been completed by them in order to be exempt. So why does the Rambam not make that explicit in this case too, that the whole halacha, that it's not obligated in Truma and Meiser and Chala when it goes to Chutzlaretz, is only when it's completed outside in Chutzlaretz. So Reb Chaim explains that the Rambam omitted this because he's trying to point us towards a very fundamental conceptual difference between these cases. 
In the case where a non-Jew or the Beis HaMikdash owned the produce and they completed it or they made the dough, so that's an actual inherent exemption that this dough and this produce is no longer obligated in Truma and Meiser and Chala because the way the Torah described it, it has to be your dough and your produce. And if it was owned by a non-Jew or the Beis HaMikdash when it was the final preparation, so then this dough or produce is inherent Inherently exempt from Truma and Meiser because it's not included in the obligation that the Torah gave that if a Jew owns produce or makes dough, then they need to take off Truma and Meiser and Chala. But that's different from the case where the produce was taken from Eretz Yisrael outside to Chutz Laaretz. That is not an inherent exemption in the produce or the dough. It's just that when produce or dough is in chutz la'aretz, then it is not obligated because the laws of Truma and Meiser and Chala apply in Israel. They do not apply outside of Israel. So if this dough and this produce was completed outside of Israel, then they are not obligated. It's not that they're inherently exempt. It's just that outside of Israel, there cannot be an obligation. So that's why the Rambam omits saying in this case that it's only if the produce or dough was completed in chutz la'aretz because that that's not inherent to the halacha. The Rambam is telling us what's essential to this halacha and the actual essential principle is that any dough or produce which is taken from Israel outside is going to be exempt from truma and meiser and challah. Now, says Rab Chaim, of course, practically, the halacha is that produce or dough, which is completed in Israel and then taken out to Chutz Laaretz, is still obligated in Truma and Meiser and Chala. And uh, vice versa is also true, that if the produce or dough is completed in Chutz Laaretz and then brought into Israel, it's still exempt from Truma and Meiser and Chala. So practically, the Rambam is not disagreeing with the Ravid. So why does the Rambam agree that it all depends on where the dough and the produce was completed if he holds that there's some sort of general principle that produce of Israel, which is now in Chutz Laaretz, is exempt. So Rab Chaim explains that even though the Rambam holds on an inherent level, that that principle is true, but practically it's not that simple. And on a practical level, he's going to come down on the same side as the rivet, that it all depends on where it was completed. And that's because when the producer dough was completed in Israel, so they immediately become obligated in Truma and Meiser and Chala. And just by taking them over the border to Chutz Laaretz is not going to remove that obligation. The obligation is still there and there's no way to get it off by taking them outside of Israel. And the same thing is the other way. Once the dough or produce is completed in Chutz Laaretz, so when it's brought into Israel, there is no way to obligate this produce or dough in Truma and Meiser and Chala because there's no action which is going to create that obligation. There has to be some sort of action which is connected with creating the mitzvah of Chala and Truma and Meiser. So since you already performed that action, there's nothing left to do. So this produce has no way to become obligated once it goes into Israel. So for practical reasons, the Rambam holds that it all is going to depend on where the produce or the dough was completed, but that's different than the essential inherent principle, which is that everything depends on whether the dough or the produce is in Israel or in Chutz Laaretz, regardless of where it was completed. So Rab Chaim is differentiating here between the theoretical principle and the practical application of it, which is dependent on where you complete the produce and the dough, but the Rambam's formulation is intended 
to illustrate this theoretical concept that that is different than when we say the same thing by a non-Jew and hectish, where it also is dependent on where you complete the produce and the dough, but in a different way. Now, Reb Chaim very brilliantly says that this is not just a theoretical distinction. There is actually a practical component to this too. And that is in a case where a non-Jew or hectish have produce, but before they've completed it, they either label some of it as truma or they take truma on it from another place, another pile. So that truma would be valid. Even though once they complete this produce, it is not going to be obligated in truma, but before they've completed it, the status of this produce is no different from any other produce sitting anywhere in Israel where you're able to take a preemptive type of truma. But that is not going to be true of produce which was taken from Israel outside to Chutz La'aretz. Even before it's been completed in Chutz La'aretz, you still cannot take a preemptive truma because as soon as it leaves Israel and goes outside, it is no longer eligible for the whole concept of truma. So that's where this theoretical formulation of the Rambam is going to play a role. The Rambam is telling us that as soon as produce leaves Israel, it's ineligible for truma whatsoever because truma only applies in Israel. As soon as it's outside of that, then it's removed from the whole concept of truma. And once it's completed in Chutz La'aretz, so then it's going to be exempt completely because as Reb Chaim explained, there's a technical problem that there is no way to obligate this produce even if it's back in Israel because there's no more actions that you could take that would create an obligation of truma and meiser. So this is a practical case where the Rambam's theoretical formulation is going to play a role. And that's exactly why the Rambam makes a big deal when it comes to a non-Jew and hectish, that everything depends on where it's completed. Because before that, the produce has the status of any other produce lying around Israel. But when it comes to produce which leaves Israel to Chutz La'aretz, there the Rambam does not mention anything about where it's completed. Because as soon as it leaves Israel, its status has already changed even before it's completed in Chutz La'aretz. So this is a very brilliant explanation of Rab Chaim, which is pulling out a theoretical principle, which does have practical applications from the formulation of the Rambam and how it differs in the case of a non-Jew and Hekdesh versus produce, which goes from Israel to Chutz La'aretz. And Reb Chaim adds that this also explains another part of the Rambam's formulation because the Rambam does say with regard to produce of Chutz La'aretz, which comes into Eretz Yisrael, there he mentions explicitly that it has to be completed in Eretz Yisrael. And the reason for this, according to Rab Chaim's approach, is now obvious because when produce goes from Israel outside to Chutz La'aretz, so then you could say that it's immediately exempt and removed from the concept of truma, and that's why the Rambam just left it as a blanket rule. But when produce goes in the other direction, from Chutz La'aretz into Israel, so then you cannot say that it automatically becomes obligated as soon as it crosses the border. There has to be some action which creates the obligation of Chala and Truma and Meiser. And this also is in the Yushalmi. It says that according to Rabbi Akiva, that everything depends on where it was completed. So the Chala has to start being browned in the oven after it comes into Israel. That's the only 
only way that it could be obligated in challah because there has to be some action which is taken once the produce comes into Israel for it to become obligated. So that's exactly why the Rambam explicitly says that produce of chutzlarts which comes into Israel must be completed in order for it to be obligated. But he omitted that with regard to the other direction, produce of Eretz Yisrael, which is going outside because as Rab Chaim explained, there there's a different theoretical conception going on. So this fits very nicely in the reading of the Rambam and makes sense of where he chooses to explicitly write that it all depends on where the produce is completed versus where he just leaves it unstated. Now Reb Chaim comes back to the two approaches he had before to explain the Gemara in Gitin, and he wants to see, based on his analysis of the Rambam here, which one of those is going to work. So the two approaches, again, were that in the first one, the whole halacha of Shama does not apply to the milestone of growing a third. It only applies to where it's completed. And the second approach was that the concept of Shama applies to everything, just that where it grows a third is not going to permanently affect the status. The only thing that permanently affects the status is the activity of where it was completed. So Rab Chaim says that the first approach is not going to fit into the Rambam because the Rambam here is saying that produce of Eretz Yisrael, which is taken outside, immediately changes into Chutzla Eretz produce and you cannot take Truma from it. Now, if the whole halacha of Shama only applies to where the produce was completed, it does not apply to any other milestones. So then why should this produce immediately transition right after it's taken over the border to Chutzlaaretz? It shouldn't change status until it's completed in Chutzlaaretz. So the Rambam, the way he explained it, is not going to fit in with the first approach to the Gemara. So says Rab Chaim, it must be like the second approach that the halacha of Shama does apply to all sorts of milestones. They're just not permanent. The only one which is permanent is where it's completed, but where it grows a third is also included in the halacha of Shama, and that's why as soon as the produce from Eretz Yisrael is taken over the border to Chutzla Eretz, it immediately changes status in some way. It's not a permanent change until it's completed, but it does change status based on the halacha of Shama. So this is a very brilliant twist from Reb Chaim to try to evaluate which of his two approaches to Gitin was correct based on his explanation of the Rambam. But as we know, Rab Chaim's always second-guessing himself. And here too, he says that maybe this is not correct, that there's a whole conceptual explanation to the Rambam. Maybe it's just a more technical explanation to the Rambam. The Rambam likes to quote things which are explicit in the Gemara. He does not like to add his own halachas. So that's why the Rambam says explicitly that it has to be completed by the non-Jew or Hektish because that's explicit in the Mishnah. And the halacha of produce from Chutzlar, it's coming into Israel, that it has to be completed is explicit in the Yushalmi. So the Rambam quotes that. But in the direction of going from Eretz Yisrael to Chutzlaaretz, there is no explicit statement in the Gemara or in the Mishnah that says that it's once it's completed in Chutzlaaretz. So for technical reasons, the Rambam did not write that. It's not that the Rambam is trying to hint at some broad conceptual category. It's just that the Rambam likes to stick 
to the language of Chazal, and in that case, from Eretz Yisrael to Chutzlaret, he did not have that explicit language, so he omitted it. So this would backtrack on the whole analysis that Rab Chaim's presented in this long paragraph. Now, in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim proposes another analysis of the Gemara, which is going to support his approach in the Rambam. The Gemara in Gitin on Dap Memzayin has a debate between Rabba and Rabbi Lezer whether a non-Jew can own land in Israel so that the produce is not obligated in Truma and Meiser. So if you hold that a non-Jew could own the land, it means that when a Jew buys that produce from him, he's not obligated in Truma and Meiser because it's not considered his produce. It's considered a non-Jew's produce, and that's not obligated by the Torah in Truma and Meiser. Now, the Rosh in Atshuva writes that this halacha only applies to mitzvahs which depend on the sanctity of the land of Israel. But something which would be obligated regardless of whether it grew in Israel or in Chutzla Aretz, like Orla or something like that, then it wouldn't matter whether the non-Jew owns the land in Israel or not. Either way, it's obligated. So this whole halacha only applies to things which are dependent on being grown in Eretz Yisrael. And this is almost explicit in the Gemara because the Gemara explains that the position of Ein Kenyan Lenachri, that a non-Jew cannot own land, is based on the fact that there is an inherent sanctity to the land of Israel, which is not going to be changed by a non-Jew owning it. So you see that the question here depends on whether this land is considered sanctified. So Rab Chaim asks a phenomenal question, which is even produce of Chutzlaretz, which is brought into Eretz Yisrael, becomes obligated in Truma and Meiser once it's completed in Israel. So why don't we apply the exact same halacha to produce which is grown in a non-Jewish farmer's land in Eretz Yisrael, that as soon as it's brought into Eretz Yisrael, it should become obligated in Truma and Meiser. Once you take it off his farm, as we said, it's the same as produce which was grown in Chutz La'aretz. And that produce, once it's brought into Israel, becomes obligated in Truma and Meiser. So as soon as the produce leaves the non-Jews farm and goes into the communal areas of Eretz Yisrael or into a Jewish area of Eretz Yisrael, if it's completed there, it should become obligated in Truma and Meiser. So the answer, says Rab Chaim, is that because when the produce grew a third, they were under the ownership of a non-Jew, that means that they are exempt from Truma and Meiser forevermore because at the moment they hit that milestone, they were not obligated in Truma and Meiser. But Rab Chaim continues to ask, and he says that that seems to only apply when the produce actually grew outside of Israel in Chutz La'aretz. So then we could say that when it grew a third, it was not in Eretz Yisrael and it's never obligated. But this produce did grow in Eretz Yisrael, even though it's in a farm owned by a non-Jew, but the land is still considered Eretz Yisrael land. This was the theme of Reb Chaim's first piece in Hilchos Trumos. So since this land is still Eretz Yisrael, the produce did grow a third while it was in Eretz Yisrael. And even though at the time it was owned by a non-Jew, but once a Jew buys it and brings it to their own property, it should be more similar to produce which was brought in from Chutz La'aretz and then it grew a third and was completed in Eretz Yisrael. So again, Rab Chaim wants to know why is this produce not obligated once it leaves the non-Jew's farm? So Rab Chaim concludes and he says that this seems to be proof for his approach in the Rambam, 
that the main factor is not so much where it grew a third, but where it was nurtured, which soil produced this fruit. So since this produce grew on a non-Jews farm and that's where it was nurtured, even though technically it grew a third in Israel, but since it was nurtured on ground, which was owned by a non-Jew, and therefore it was not obligated in Truma and Miser, so that's why it's not going to be obligated even after a Jew goes and buys it. So again, this would prove Rab Chaim's major thesis in the Rambam that the more important factor is where this produce was nurtured, which soil it originated from, which is more important than where it was located when it grew a third. So this is a very nice piece from Rab Chaim. It's a bit complicated, but when you go through it, you can really make sense of each step. The main conceptual points that Rab Chaim has is first he begins with a distinction between Chala versus Truma and Meiser, and he suggests two distinctions. One is technical, that Chala only has one moment when it becomes obligated, which is a machlokas, either when you make the dough or when the bread begins to crust. But that's different than Truma and Meiser, which depend on two factors, the produce growing a third and being completed. The second distinction that Rab Chaim proposes is more conceptual, that challah depends on the action of making dough or the bread crusting. But truma and meiser are much more connected to the growth of the produce. The fact that it grew is what creates the obligation of truma and meiser. So that's a very important distinction. Now Reb Chaim comes to his major thesis, which is that when we have a clash between the principle of Shama that says that the produce is obligated depending on where it's located versus where this produce actually grew and was nurtured, so where it grew is going to be more important. And Reb Chaim has two formulations of this. Either because Shama does not apply to the milestone of growing a third, it only applies to where the produce was completed. So that's why where the produce was nurtured is going to be an important factor. Or the second formulation is that the rule of Shama does apply to all the milestones, but with regard to the growing a third milestone, which is passive, so Shama is also passive. It doesn't create a permanent status. It just for the moment keeps a passive status in place. So that's why where the produce grew is going to be a very important factor. And finally, Reb Chaim distinguishes between produce which is owned by a non-Jew or hectish versus produce which goes from Israel outside to Chutzla Aretz, that when it comes to a non-Jew or hectish, everything depends on the moment when it's completed. So once they complete it, that's when they've changed this produce into exempt from Truma and Meiser. As opposed to produce which goes from Israel outside to Chutzla Aretz, that is inherently exempt immediately, except that it does depend on where it's completed in order to create a permanent status. So those are the main conceptual points that Rab Chaim brings out in this piece. Now in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidusha Ben Chaim Halevi, so they bring some interesting discussion about some of Rab Chaim's points. So with regard to Rab Chaim's first approach to distinguish between Chala versus Truma and Meiser, that Truma and Meiser have two milestones, when it grows a third and when it's completed, versus Chala, which only has one milestone, which is when you make the dough. So they quote that Rab Chaim 
Ozer, the Rav of Vilna, who was an early Talmud of Reb Chaim in Valozhin. So in his Chuvis Achiezer, Yoridea Similam Tes Os Tes and Os Yud. So he quotes this approach. But of course, he heard it firsthand from Reb Chaim. And it's interesting because the way he quotes it seems to imply that Reb Chaim had not developed the rest of the ideas in this piece, the more conceptual approach that he focuses on in his published Sefer. So this is some insight into the development of Rab Chaim's ideas. It seems that at first, when Rab Chaim Ozer heard it firsthand, it was still a more technical idea, and then later he built on it, which is a good reminder for us. We very often think that Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi sort of fell from the heavens, ready-made, but it was really Rab Chaim's lifelong struggle to understand the halacha and to understand it more and more deeply that created this amazing sefer. Now, Rab Chaim Moser raises a very interesting question, and he says that according to the Yushalmi, it seems that Rabbi Akiva, who disagrees with the Rabbanan and says that the obligation of challah is created when the bread starts to cook in the oven. But he also agrees that the moment when you make the dough is important to creating the obligation of challah. So that would mean that Rabbi Akiva's view of challah is parallel to the halacha of Truma and Meiser, that there's a double milestone, just like in Truma and Meiser. It has to grow a third and be completed. So according to Rabbi Akiva, when it comes to challah, it has to be made into dough and then start to cook in the oven. And if that's true, then it would be a problem with Reb Chaim because the Yushalmi says that according to Rabbi Akiva, if you make the dough in Chutz Laaretz and then you bring it into Eretz Yisrael and start to bake it in the oven there, it's still obligated in challah. So here we have a parallel case to Truma and Meiser where there's two milestones and one is in Chutz Laaretz and then the second is in Eretz Yisrael and it is obligated. So that would raise problems with Reb Chaim's first approach. Now in the Or Olam edition, they quote a solution to this from Rabbi Yehuda Gershuni, who was himself a very fascinating character. He was Rabbi Lazer Silver's son-in-law. So in a memorial volume for Rabbi Chaim Ozer, so he discusses this, and we won't go through the whole thing, but the key point to resolve Rabbi Chaim is that he says, based on a Rashba, that Rabbi Akiva only holds there's two milestones for Chala in Eretz Yisrael. But in Chutz Laaretz, Rabbi Akiva holds that making the dough is irrelevant to the obligation of challah. It comes when it starts to bake in the oven. So that would defend Rab Chaim's piece because in Rab Chaim's case, the dough came from Chutz Laaretz to Eretz Yisrael. So in that case, according to Rabbi Akiva, there's only one milestone, which is when it began to bake in the oven, which was in Eretz Yisrael. So that's just an interesting discussion about whether Chala has one milestone like Rab Chaim assumes, or there is a position of Rabbi Akiva that Chala has a double milestone like Truma and Meiser, which is what Rab Chaim Ozer suggests. Now, Rab Shach in the Aviezri here also has a discussion of this Rab Chaim, and he raises a number of points. And at the end, he also quotes a Ramban, which suggests that there may be more than one milestone for Chala. And the Ramban says that just like Truma has a double milestone in the sense that it's not obligated in Truma until you finish this produce. But if you take the truma off beforehand, it's still valid truma. So the same thing applies to challah. It does not become obligated in challah until you mix the dough. But there is an earlier milestone, which is once you put the water into the flour, even though you haven't mixed it, 
if you take off the challah at that point, it's valid challah. So the Ramban is innovating that when it comes to challah, there's also a concept that you can take off a valid challah before it actually became obligated in challah, and that's the moment between when you pour the water into the flour before you've mixed it. So Rav Shach raises the point that according to the Ramban, let's say somebody puts water in flour in Chutz Laaretz, and then they cross over the border into Eretz Yisrael and they mix it. So in that case, it really should not be obligated in challah because there was a milestone which was reached in Chutz Laaretz. So this is another creative way of questioning Rab Chaim's assumption that challah is so straightforward that it just has one milestone to become obligated in challah as opposed to Truma and Meiser. And Rav Shach and Rab Chaim Moser are raising sources that indicate that that's not so simple. There may be a double milestone when it comes to challah too. Now, Rav Shach has a very powerful conceptual question on Rab Chaim's first approach, and that is based on a distinction that Rab Chaim himself makes later on. Rab Chaim's first approach is that there's a double milestone for produce which comes from Chutzla Aretz, and that's based on the fact that there's a double milestone for produce which is owned by a non-Jew or Hektish when it grew a third. So the same way produce which is owned by a non-Jew in Hekdesh does not become obligated in Truma and Meister later on, so too produce which came from Chutzlaretz into Israel. That's how Rab Chaim sets it up. But Rab Shach points out that there's a fundamental difference between produce which is owned by a non-Jew in Hekdesh versus produce which came from Chutzlaretz. Because produce which is owned by a non-Jew in Hekdesh is actively excluded by the Torah from the Gancha. It has to be your produce. So if it's owned by a non-Jew or Hekdish, then it does not become obligated in Truma and Meiser. It's excluded from the whole mitzvah of Truma and Meiser. But that's not true with regard to produce which grows in Chutz Laaretz, which is not excluded from the mitzvah. It's just the mitzvah only applies in Eretz Yisrael. These mitzvahs do not apply in Chutz Laaretz. So produce which grew in Chutz Laaretz is not going to be included in the mitzvah of Truma and Meiser. But it's not an active exclusion. It's still considered the gancha, your produce. It just grew in a location which is not Eretz Yisrael and therefore it's not obligated in Truma and Meiser. And Rab Chaim himself at the end of this piece makes the same distinction. So according to this, Rav Shach points out that Rab Chaim's technical distinction doesn't really apply anymore. Because even though when produce grows in the hands of a non-Jew or hektish, it can never be obligated in Truma and Meiser, even if a Jew buys it and completes it, that's because this produce was actively excluded. But produce which grew in Chutzlaretz, which was never actively excluded, it was just not obligated in Truma and Meiser because it was outside of Israel. So once the Torah told us the halacha of Shama, that wherever the produce is completed, it becomes obligated, that should include even produce of Chutz Laaretz, which was brought into Eretz Yisrael. So Rav Shach is questioning Rav Chaim's technical distinction between whether there's one milestone or two milestones, because the whole basis of that is based on what we derive from produce of a non-Jew and Hektish, and because that's so different conceptually from produce of Chutz Laaretz, he believes that even produce which grew in Chutz Laaretz, which comes into Eretz Yisrael and is completed, should be obligated in Truma and Meiser based on the principle of Shammah.